We read the Word of God in Matthew 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. And the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This far we read the Word of God. Call your attention this morning to the first part of verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Beloved saints in Christ, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic Gospels, those that are most parallel, give us a complete picture of the events of that morning in which Jesus Christ arose. The night, or two nights before, when Jesus had been buried, the women, Mary, and Mary Magdalene, and Salome, and Joanna, a number of women, had seen where Jesus was buried. 
And they determined that at their earliest possible moment, they were going to anoint his dead body with spices and ointments. But they could not Friday night, for dusk was at hand and the Sabbath was beginning, and so they rested according to the Sabbath. And now the Sabbath is over, and it's early Sunday morning, the first day of the week, which for the Jews, of course, was the end of the Sabbath. And they come with their spices to anoint the body of Jesus with one question on their lips. Who will roll away the stone? The graves in those days were caves. And therefore Jesus' body had been put into a cave and a great stone rolled in front of the cave's mouth in order to seal and to close off the grave. Who will roll away the stone. But when they arrive, they find that the stone has been rolled away and an angel announces to them that the grave is empty. And it's not empty because the disciples stole his body, as the Jews decide to say, a lie that we read of in chapter 28, verses 11 following. But it's empty because the body of Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This common picture that all three of these gospel writers give us is supplemented now by a detail here and a detail there. One gospel writer gives us another detail that another doesn't, and we have an instance of that in the text. There's one detail that only Matthew gives, and that is that as the women arrived at the sepulcher and saw the stone had been rolled away, they also felt, as did others in Jerusalem, a great earthquake. Now there's two things about this earthquake that make it worthy of our focus this morning. The first, of course, is the fact that it happened. Whenever an earthquake happens, that's noteworthy. Our news today will tell us within moments of a great earthquake happening in some part of the world. It is according to the providential direction of God that at the moment Jesus Christ arises, there is an earthquake. And the providences of God are not random, are not coincidental. There's a reason why there's an earthquake at the moment our Lord arose. And the second noteworthy fact is that this earthquake is mentioned in Scripture. There are, of course, many things that happened to Jesus in His life on earth that are not mentioned in Scripture. Why must this be mentioned? What is the Holy Spirit saying, not just about the resurrection of Jesus Christ back then, but about its significance and benefit for the church of Jesus Christ throughout the whole New Testament? That's the question that is on our minds as I call your attention to our text under the theme, the resurrection morning earthquake. Notice first that it announced Christ's resurrection. Second, that it declared certain judgment. And finally, that it promised complete renewal. 
Well, we need to see the main event of which this earthquake was a sign. And the main event was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you confess that Jesus Christ arose, what are you saying? Give content to that confession. That's what we're going to do right now. According to the Scriptures, the resurrection of Jesus Christ consisted especially of two wonders. The first is His dead body coming to life again. Now, a body that's alive is united to a soul. And if you remember, when Jesus Christ died, and this because this characterizes death for every human, death is the departing of the soul from the body. It is, the Scriptures often say, the giving up of the ghost, the departure of the soul from the body. Jesus had done that. On the cross, the last word he said was, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. And having said that, he gave up the ghost. His soul left and went to heaven, and his body remained on the cross until it was taken down and put into the grave. What was the resurrection of Jesus Christ? First of all, it was the soul of Christ which had been commended to the Father's hand, and the body of Jesus, which had been put in the grave, being united together again, so that He could live. That, first of all. Evidently, this is a wonder, a miracle. Only God can put a soul into a body. And God did put the soul of Jesus into Jesus' body. This part of the wonder of the resurrection explains or does justice to the word resurrection or arise, which word means to stand up again. The body of Jesus gave evidence that it was alive inasmuch as it stood up again and ten times over the course of the next 40 days, Jesus would appear to his disciples the twelve, and then his disciples, the broader group, above 500 at one time, to show that his body, raised, alive, was not an apparition, not a ghost the way the world today speaks of ghosts, but it was that body of Jesus with which He'd been born, in which He'd lived, in which He'd suffered and died. That body that was alive again. That, first of all, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Second aspect of the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, and what makes the resurrection of Christ distinct from any other previous resurrection, such as that of Lazarus, is that this body became heavenly. Your body is earthly. Jesus had conceived, had been conceived and born to Mary with an earthly body. The sort of body that needed clothing, needed food, needed needed shelter. The sort of body with which He would walk on earth was limited by earth. He couldn't just go through rocks. He did do miracles in His body didn't he? There was a time 
when the men of Nazareth were about to push him off a cliff and suddenly he walked away. So that's true that even there the earthly body of Jesus is united to a divine person and that the divinity of Jesus showed itself in his miracles on earth. Nonetheless, that body was fit to live on earth the way yours and mine are. When Jesus arose, not merely did his earthly body come to life again so that he would live on earth again, but his body was changed to be a glorious heavenly body. It was the sort of body that no longer belonged on earth. It no longer needed earthly food nor earthly clothing. It belonged in heaven. It was a perfected body. This part of the wonder of the resurrection of Christ does justice to the fact that that body left the grave before the gravestone had been rolled away. If ever you find yourself in a cave with a stone over the mouth, you will realize that your only hope of getting out is that you or somebody else move the stone. But like the body of Jesus, when you and I arise from the dead, though there be six feet of dirt above our bodies, and the body be inside a concrete vault, and then inside a wooden casket, the body will come forth without anybody digging it out. This is the nature of a heavenly, spiritual Body. To call it a spiritual body isn't to say that it's really not a body anymore. It's some different thing. It was the body of Jesus. No longer limited by earthly limitations. Able to live in heaven. And it's for that reason that 40 days later, Jesus having showed many times that he was alive, that body went up to heaven and is there now at the right hand of God, and will be there until our Lord comes again. What was the resurrection of Jesus? His soul and body were reunited, and His body came to life, and His body became a heavenly body. This explanation of the resurrection of Christ not only does justice to all the scriptural data about the resurrection, but it also is the historic confession of Christians throughout the ages. There are other explanations of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that some give who profess to be Christian, but really are throwing away the scriptures. You had an instance of it again in the chapter By the Jews, the disciples stole his body. It isn't my text. So my purpose this morning isn't to demonstrate the folly and the error of that. But even the guards knew. And even the chief priests knew. Whenever there has to be money involved to convince somebody to tell a story, All involved know the story is false. 
Today, especially after the 1700s and the Enlightenment and all of the development since that dismiss miracles, the common explanation of the resurrection of Christ among who would call himself quote-unquote a Christian is that the legacy of Jesus lives on. The principles that he taught, that he died for, live on in his people. Jesus' body is dead, let's be clear, says the modern liberal Christian, but his ideas live on. Now he's no different than a Martin Luther or a Martin Luther King Jr. or a John Kelvin or a Muhammad for that matter. Now he's not a distinctly different Savior. But confess this, that God does miracles and that the Bible often alerts us to a miracle that God did by this word as we find it in our text. Behold, stop and think about this. And that the God who does miracles does them with a view to our salvation. Jesus arose. But herein is a promise to you and to me that we too shall rise and that we are already now saved. Now the very first announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not the announcement of the women, of the angels to the women. You might understandably say it was, But I'm setting forth from our text that the very first announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a word that Jehovah God told to all in the vicinity when the earth quaked. And it's a fitting announcement, is an earthquake, of the resurrection of our Lord for at least three reasons. In the first place, both the resurrection of Christ and the quaking of the earth are wonders. So that you say, and behold, stop and think about this. When I say they're wonders, I mean that only God can cause earthquakes. And only God can cause the body of Jesus Christ to rise. It's true that in causing an earthquake, God uses means. That He is the one who has directed and created the world and directed the earth and the earth's crust and all of its layers underneath. That He is the one who knows where the fault lines are and the plates. And He even directs their shifting so that the shifting of the earth is what causes an earthquake. All of this is under the control of God. Yet in the end, it is the work of God. No man can cause an earthquake. Just like the resurrection of Jesus Christ then, and our need to defend it as a real historical event, we need to defend the earthquake of the resurrection morning as being a real historical event. There's at least one unbelieving theory as to why the earth would quake at this moment, That unbelieving theory looks at the second part of the verse, and it says, For the angel of heaven 
descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. That was not an earthquake the way you and I think of earthquakes and the way geologists explain them. That was a vibration of the earth that happened when the stone fell to the ground. I hope even the children right away get the error of it. Verse 2 does not say the stone fell to the ground. Nor is it reasonable to think of a stone that covers the mouth of a cave when it's being rolled away falling. It already was on the ground. Don't necessarily think of a nice round stone that had been crafted and could slide the way you would move a wheel and maybe that slab falling to the ground. Think of a boulder that had been put in front of that and now that boulder is moved away. It doesn't fall to the ground. That cannot be the explanation. Besides, it doesn't do justice to this word. Behold, the Lord sent an earthquake. Verse 2 does indeed, the second part of the verse does give a reason or an explanation for the earthquake, but not a cause-effect explanation. Because the angel rolled away the stone, there was a great earthquake. Rather, that word for is giving a theological explanation for the earthquake. God sent it. Because Christ arose and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Because Christ arose, there's a theological explanation here. Well, that's first of all then. They're both wonders. And One wonder that's bound to get your attention, as the quaking of the earth will, draws attention to another wonder, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a second reason why an earthquake was a fitting announcement of the resurrection of Christ. And that is that it would be more widely attested and experienced and felt than would the words... Of the angel. It's true that over the course of this day, this Sunday, the angel told the women, the women told the disciples, the disciples told others, and by and large, after the day was over, many in Jerusalem had heard that Jesus Christ arose. The news did spread, but then all of them could say, Oh, It happened at the time, the earthquake. I felt that quake this morning. That's the proof to me that the word of these humans is true. Jesus Christ arose. In other words, the earthquake is more widely attested. You can doubt. You can doubt the words that women speak. I'm not saying we should. I'm saying we do sometimes. And people in Jerusalem would. But you can't doubt when the earth quakes. If you tell somebody, I felt the earth quake this morning. I am sure we had an earthquake. And they say to you, 
think you're imagining things. Every one of us here who would have truly felt an earthquake says, Oh no, I did not imagine that. There's a third reason why an earthquake was a fitting announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is, that in it, creation itself bore witness. Think of all the other witness we have. We have witness from heaven itself through the angels. Then we have humans bearing witness and going to tell others. But Jesus Christ arose as both the head of the church and the Lord of creation And all of creation, which will benefit in some way from His death and resurrection, bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Jews want to keep it quiet. And it wasn't the first time either. Do you remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem? The people were welcoming Him. The children were singing His praises. Quoting from Psalm 118. And some people said to Jesus, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they would be quiet, the very rocks would cry out. And that in a way is what's happening here. Creation itself beholds the resurrection of Jesus Christ and says, He. He alone of all men is the Son of God, the Savior, and the Redeemer. A fitting announcement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let's turn our attention more to the significance of an earthquake as we see secondly that in this earthquake God was speaking as a judge He declared a certain, that is a sure, judgment. Earthquakes, after all, are always signs of God's judgment upon the world and humanity for sin. When I say that, I do not mean to suggest that every time you hear of an earthquake, you imagine that those to whom that earthquake came were worse sinners. Jesus himself drove home that point in Luke 13. When he spoke of some whom Pilate had killed near the altar and others on whom a tower of Siloam fell. He said, it isn't that they were the worst sinners. These judgments did come on them because they were sinners merely. It's a word for all of us. And that's the point I'm making here too. Earthquakes are a reminder that the human race is sinful and corrupt, and that the creation itself bears the effects of the curse. Every time the earthquakes, Jehovah God as judge is saying, guilty, guilty, guilty. Only here, He said something else. Bear in mind that this earthquake was related theologically to an earthquake that happened two days earlier. Again, of which only Matthew speaks. When Jesus cried, it is finished. 
and gave up the ghost, and the veil of the temple rent in twain from the top to bottom, there was a great earthquake. I'm going to say, as we speak now of these earthquakes being a sentence from Jehovah as judge, that the earthquake on the resurrection morning was an aftershock. And I don't mean that in a geological sense, I mean it in a theological sense was an aftershock of the earthquake Friday afternoon. In other words, in both of them, Jehovah God was saying the same thing. In both of them, Jehovah was saying, I set before me the whole human race as it is apart from and outside of Jesus Christ, and I see it as sinful, as guilty. And then... I see Jesus Christ as guilty on behalf of the sins of those whom I've given to Him. And I judge Him as guilty. And on resurrection morning, now I judge Him as righteous. That's the judgment of which the text is speaking. It was a judgment then of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He who had borne our sins and was guilty before God and before the tribunal of God and suffered the curse and wrath of God, suffered in full. The resurrection of Christ itself is a reminder that Christ's sufferings are over. It was finished. He had made satisfaction to the justice of God. And now he could live again. And that's part of the declaration of Jesus of Jehovah in the earthquake too. If Jesus were still guilty, then he could not leave the grave. A man who has not served his sentence in full, and of whom a civil judge says, you still need to endure punishment, is not permitted to leave jail. Likewise, Jehovah God would not have released Jesus Christ from the grave had he said of Jesus Christ, I still see in you the sin and the guilt of my people. But the fact that Jesus Christ rose again is Jehovah saying, I see you as righteous. You have done it all. It is finished. Satisfaction is made to the justice of God. So really, you, Jesus Christ, as the head of the elect and the mediator of the covenant, must rise, must go free, must live. You are righteous. And, inasmuch as he died and rose as your and my representative, God is saying of you and of me that he sees us as righteous in Christ. Here's where the gospel of the resurrection of Christ begins to become very, begins to become very personal. And when I understand the relationship between me and Christ, His headship, my union to Him, both 
a legal union in that God views me as connected to Him. And the organic union, the faith that He works in my heart, actually being His own resurrection life in me. When I understand this union to Jesus Christ, then I say, whatever God did to Christ, He does to me. The Apostle Paul drives that point home in Romans 4 verse 25. Who was delivered, Christ, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That is to say, when Jesus Christ arose and God said of him, righteous, he said to me and to you who are united to Christ by a true and living faith, also righteous. Now, sinner, does not your soul delight to hear that? Anyone who says that Jesus Christ's body is still in the grave, there is no historical fact of a resurrection of Christ is saying, whether they understand it or not, they are saying, all of humanity is yet in sin. That's what the Apostle Paul was teaching the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. And if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, ye are yet in your sins. But sinners, we hear that Christ arose. My sin, your sin, is paid for. And there is for us the hope, the certain hope of everlasting life because the judge said, Righteous! They sent an earthquake to underscore the point. Well, there's an implication here. First of all, to the child of God, a calling that's implied. Believe then in Christ. Believe then that His death and resurrection did take your sins away and that you are righteous in Him. Do not go on doubting. Do not go on saying, well, this might be true for others, I understand, but it mustn't be true for me. There's so much sin in me yet. Believe that what Christ did took the guilt of sin away. That's our calling. But at the same time, there's a warning. And the warning is for any who will not believe that Jesus arose. Will not say that He is their Lord and Savior, the warning to the unbeliever is, then you are yet in your sin. See what misery that is. See that no man of himself can take his sin away, either its guilt or its power. See that if you are yet in your sin, you can have only the expectation of everlasting condemnation in hell. And to all of that, 
unbelieving man will say, no, not true, because in fact, I don't really have much sin. That's where we're talking past each other. You keep talking about sin. I'm basically a good person. Oh no. That earthquake said, sinful humanity who does not find the righteousness in Christ will suffer the condemnation of God. Look to Him and find in Him your hope. Earthquakes cause terror. They do that even for a child of God. When standing on the ground, you suddenly find the ground is not firm under your feet. Lying in your bed, you see the walls shaking around you. And you worry that your house might fall down. There's a, there's a fear. And the point of this earthquake is to remind those who don't find in Christ their salvation, they ought be afraid. So in the second point, I viewed the significance of the earthquake from the viewpoint of what Jehovah God was saying as judge. Now in the third point, we're going to keep looking at the significance of an earthquake and see that Scripture presents earthquakes as The earth itself expressing hope that one day it will no longer suffer the consequences of the sins of man, but it will be made perfect, as will humanity, elect humanity. That's really the way the Scriptures present an earthquake. Think now of Romans 8.22 again. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. That is, the apostles drawing our attention to the fact that earth, that is the inanimate creation, not just animal world, that too, but even the inanimate creation suffers the consequences of the fall of man and longs for a day when the consequences are over. Not only does Romans 8 speak of that, but so does Hebrews 12, verse 27. When quoting Haggai 2, the inspired writer says that there's going to come a day when Jehovah's going to shake the earth again, and not the earth only, but also the heavens. And that final shaking of earth and heaven is going to cause earth and heaven as we know it in the present form it is all to collapse and be destroyed but out of that God will create the new heavens and the new earth the earthquake of the resurrection morning was really saying to all who believe in Jesus Christ not only are you righteous But the Lord arose to make a new day and to bring about the kingdom of God in all its fullness. How, you ask, could the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the earthquake that announced it promise that? And the answer comes back to, 
the nature of the body with which Jesus Christ arose. I said earlier that it wasn't just an earthly body fit to live on earth again, if that's all it were. If it were like Lazarus' body, the the son of the widow of Nain's body, the daughter of Jairus' body, then the body returned to earthly life only one day to die again. But the body of Jesus Christ arose with a new, that is renewed, heavenly, glorious body. He who truly partook of the nature of humanity would now live in heaven. As one who is working and governing all history to bring history to an end, a climax, a goal, in order to prepare the new heavens and the new earth. And the same one working in his church to prepare his church as his body for that day when he, coming again and making all things new, would perfect, raise, and glorify the church of Jesus Christ and bring us also to live in heaven. His glorious body had been renewed. He was telling us, so will all creation. And therefore, to the child of God, so will your body and mine. The resurrection of our bodies that we confess, of which the scriptures also speak, of which the apostle speaks in 1 Corinthians 15, and again in Philippians 3 verse 20 and 21. Which chapters teach us that our bodies will be made like unto Christ's most glorious body. That is, our own bodies will be renewed and transformed to live in heaven forever and ever. That hope of the child of God. Based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Deny he arose, then don't try telling other people you will arise. Deny he arose, then what really is the point of adhering to his principles and listening to his teachings? What difference do they make? They make a difference only in this life because that's all there is. Deny he arose. We really then lose all incentive to live a new and godly life. And we can't speak of his resurrection life in us. Confess he arose. And not only do we say, I'm righteous in God in Jesus Christ. But we also say, my body will rise. And he lives in me. There's that hymn. And its own concise way drives home an essential component and benefit of the resurrection of Christ. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. In other words, the transformation that's coming, the complete renewal that's coming, of which Christ's resurrection is a token, and the earthquake that morning is a sign, 
that's already begun. It's not only something future, it began in me when He took me, whom He declared righteous in Christ, but then said, that sinner must be transformed. Though I see him righteous, that sinner is yet a sinner in Adam. He's still corrupt. He or she is still able to do only that which is evil, but then working the life of Christ in me. The regenerating me by the Holy Spirit. Strengthening my faith. Sanctifying me again and again. There is an inner transformation and renewal. And what explains it is not just that I say the teachings of Christ were the best kinds of teachings. Or the example Christ set was the best kind of example. But what explains it is that Jesus Christ lives and works His life in me and in you. All of that, Jehovah God is drawing our attention to when He sends an earthquake. Of course, the disciples didn't understand all of this that morning. Of course, the Jews didn't. On the one hand, that's because the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on Pentecost to give them a deeper understanding. But even more, it's because they hadn't yet had the fullness of the Scriptures before them, as do we who in the power of the Spirit open up the Scriptures and look at this concept of the resurrection of Christ and a concept of an earthquake. Study them both in the light of the Scriptures and see why and how the Lord is bringing them together when He says, and behold... At the moment Christ arose, there was a great earthquake. But having done so now, having studied these concepts in the light of Scripture, we see that that earthquake was indeed a declaration of the judge. Christ arose. He's righteous and you and I are righteous in Him. And therefore we have a glorious hope. Do you then live in that hope? And out of that hope, that is the Christian life. That is the life that shows that our life is hid with Christ in God, Colossians 3. To live in hope of a day coming and out of hope so that even today I live as one who serves a risen and living Savior. Not living for myself. Not living for this earth, but living for Him. And then living in that hope and out of that hope, we long and we yearn. If the earth itself is saying, hasten the day when the effects of sin are all over and I'm perfected, then the child of God says the same thing. And having hearing of the resurrection of Christ, he makes a prayer, even so, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. And the Lord promises he will. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And elsewhere he said this, and behold, I make all things knew what a hope the Christian has who confesses that Christ arose.
Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, give us to live out of this hope, a life of gratitude and of praise to Thee. Give us to confess this hope, and when others would scoff at us or mock us for this hope, then don't, or rather than keep us from questioning and second-guessing our hope, but give us to remember the objective evidence of the resurrection of Christ and its benefits for us is that this is written in Scriptures. And the subjective evidence is that He lives within our heart. And with this evidence, give us to persevere in faith and in godliness. For Jesus' sake, amen.